Hey there, our wonderful listeners. You've pulled up Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. And that was Linda, and this is Glenn. We're the Dawsons. We're an evangelistic team located in Lexington, Kentucky, dedicated to ministering to the saints through music and history of the old-time hymns and their authors. As well as sharing the good news of eternal salvation to the lost and dying world. How is Miss Linda today? Doing okay on this side of the mic, Glenn. How are you today? I'm doing great, Linda. We have a, a song today that's encouraging to all creation. Great. Let's share the words to Wonderful Words of Life. Sing them o'er again to me, Wonderful Words to lo- of Life. Let me more of their beauty see, Wonderful Words of Life. Words of Life and Beauty. Teach me faith and duty, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, list to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Also freely given, wooing us to heaven, beautiful words. Wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words of life. I would wager that many people who have sung this hymn can recall most of the hymn text in its entirety, or at the very least, the refrain. Clearly, Philip Bliss knew exactly what he was doing with this text. He used his background as an educator to influence many generations of singers over the course of the last century and a half. The text was written and the tune, Wonderful Words of Life, was composed both by Philip Bliss, who was born in a log cabin near Rome in Clearfield County, July 9, 1838. He was converted at a revival meeting at age 12, always interested in music. While a boy, he was carrying items from his family's home into a town to sell, and he heard a lady playing the piano in the house along the way. Walking into the house without her knowledge, he asked her to play some more, but was ordered to leave. His family was four, and at age 11, he left home to work on the farms at the lumber camp. The industrious boy spent his early years working and learning, and he received training in music from such teachers as William Bradbury, whose well-known tunes include Jesus Loves Me and He Leadeth Me. Bliss eventually took on the roles of a itinerant music teacher, composer, and editor. His first musical composition was for a flute in 1858, he took up an appointment in Rome Academy, Pennsylvania. In Rome, Bliss met Lucy J. Young, 
whom he married in 1859. She came from a musical family and encouraged the development of his talent, and for a year afterward, he worked on her father's farm, beginning in 1860 with the help of his horse, Old Fanny, a run-down buggy, and twenty-dollar accordion. He rode the rural Pennsylvania as a professional music teacher, conducting singing, schools in the winter, and containing and continuing his own music education during the summer at the National Academy of Music in New York. At age 25, Bliss had been an impoverished music teacher, making only $13 a month. By 36, he was earning a fortune, with his royalties being counted in the tens of thousands of dollars, although he gave much of it away to charity. By 1874, Philip Bliss was in high demand as a musician and composer. His primary means of income was in giving concerts and singing at conventions, accompanied by his wife Lucy, though through which he could promote and sell his music. Philip Bliss was doing, in 1874, what he'd recently come to believe was his life calling. The Blisses defined the era with a life on the road as traveling evangelists with their colleagues for many years to come. Most of these worship services took place in the Midwest and Southern United States, and they served as a framework within which Bliss wrote his hymns, texts, and tunes. Bliss had been recruited to lead music part-time for the evangelistic campaigns of Major Daniel Webster Whittle. Over the winter of 1873-1874, another major evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, petitioned Bliss and Whittle to join forces with him. As a biographer, J. H. Hall noted, they finally concluded to try a meeting or two, letting the results help them to decide. The first meeting was held in Illinois, March 24th or 26th. The meeting was a memorable one. Major Whittle says concerning it, We returned to Chicago praising God, blessed to find substitutes for his conventions, and I to resign my business position. As a revivalist song leader, Blist was obviously emphasizing the words of Scripture and the subsequent gospel call that results from hearing these words. The singing itself becomes a persuasive sermon as the text is directed toward the listener, the sinner, and the sermon concludes with the following prayer. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. On one occasion, Christian publisher Fleming Revelle, Dwight Moody's brother-in-law, was about to launch a new Sunday school paper. He wanted a song that would capture the overall focus of the publication, which was to emphasize the vital importance of studying the Word of God. The name of the paper was to be Words of Life. So Mr. Revelle asked Philip Bliss if he could come up with a song to fit suggesting the key text, John 6, 67-68. In the passage, many who have followed Christ were drifting away, verse 66, 
the Lord turned to his disciples and asked, Do you also want to go away? And Peter made this reply on behalf of the other men, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 5:24. Words of eternal life. Words of life. This is an apt description of the whole Bible. So Bliss composed this week's hymn, Wonderful Words of Life. But after the first issue of publication, the song was all but forgotten. Mr. Rival passed on a copy of another hymn writer, George Stebbins, who began using it in evangelist meeting. It caught on after that and became very popular. About the hymn and meetings, Bliss said, I carried that song through two seasons of evangelistic work, never thinking it possessed much merit or that he had an element of special usefulness, particularly for solo purposes. It occurred to me to try one day during the campaign in New Haven, and with the help of Mrs. Stedman, we sang it as a duet. To our surprise, the song was received with great enthusiasm, and from one from that time on, to the close of the meeting, was the favorite of all hymns used. It's an illustration of the hold it got upon the people all about that section of the country. I received a letter from the Secretary of the Connecticut State Sunday School Association offering me what seemed an absurdly large sum of money if I would, with Mrs. Stebbins, come to the state convention and sing that one song. I have not been able to find if they went to the convention and what the absurdly large sum of money was. However, it is a great song reminding us of the impact of God's words. May we never take them for granted. One can assume Bliss training included the teaching tools needed to teach his music in the 19th century, and it is evident this experience influenced his work as a composer and restorer of vigor in the people's song and worship. Bliss would have taught many of our songs in his revival meetings by repetition, and Wonderful Words of Life is filled with examples of repetition. Though the second line differs from the first by only one note, the final note, it is almost an exact statement of the initial phrase. The third line contains two two major phrases that are exactly the same, and the refrain contains two phrases written almost note for note. The final music of form then becomes A-A-B-B-C-C composition. In addition, the wonderful words themselves became a teaching tool that are deeply rooted in the ear, voice, and mind of the singer. The phrase, wonderful words, is repeated throughout this hymn a total of 18 times, and the larger phrase, wonderful words of life, a total of 12 times. He uses means other than repetition to reinforce the teaching of the text and tune. The poetic devices he employs also help to teach the hymn. Words is personified 
throughout the hymn as teachers wooing us to heaven and offering pardon and peace to all. According to stanza one, they teach faith and duty. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. We need to hear God's words over and over again, as we see in Second Peter 3, 1 and 2. When we do their beauty, will be seen in that that they are sweeter than honey, Psalms 119, 103. And their value is that they teach us faith and duty, as we see in Titus 2, 11 and 12. According to stanza 2, they woo us to heaven. Christ, the Blessed One, gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, list to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Also freely given, wooing us to heaven. Christ is the one who gives us these wonderful words in John six sixty three. Therefore, we need to listen to his loving call found in 2 Thessalonians two thirteen through 14 If we follow them, they will woo us to heaven in Colossians 1, 5. According to stanza 3, they present Jesus as Savior. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. The gospel is God's power into salvation, Romans 1 16. The gospel offers pardon and peace through forgiveness of our sins, see Acts 13, 38, and 39. But we must Respond to the gospel in obedience because Jesus is the only Savior. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. The refrain continues the note of praise for the word of God. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Note Matthew 4, 4. We can have guidance through life, the hope of heaven, and salvation in Christ only by believing and obeying the wonderful words of life. In 1876, after a grueling fall schedule, Mr. and Mrs. Bliss spent the Christmas holiday with their family in Rome, Pennsylvania. Leaving the children with relatives in Rome, they left for Chicago and an engagement in Moody's Tabernacle. On December the 29th, while they were riding their Chicago-bound express through Ohio, the bridge over a ravine near Ohio gave way, and seven cars crashed through the trestle. They plunged into the icy riverbed below and burst into flame. Bliss, just 38 years old at the time, survived the fall, escaped through a window, and crawled from the wreckage. However, when he did not see his wife, he fought his way back through the fire into the burning mass in a vain effort to locate and rescue her. Both of them perished in the flames, along with a hundred other people. It's an awful end to the life of this couple. But we, remember, we must remember that death comes to all of us. And none of these folks got up in that morning saying, I'm going to die today. 
We're not guaranteed another heartbeat. We are but one heartbeat away from eternity. Have you thought about this today? Do you have family, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, uncles and aunts and cousins that you're not sure of Jesus? Are your friends and neighbors going to heaven? Have you ever cared enough to ask them? How many people do you run into each day that you speak to will get to eternity and wonder why you never said anything to them? Do you leave tracks where you can be found around where people you meet? Will Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, or ask you, how come you never told people about me? This is such an important thing. It is the eternal it is the eternal destiny of souls that live forever. We're going to have a give an account for such things that we've done in the body, good or bad. And when we do what we know God wants us to do, it shows God that we love Him and that we trust Him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is there anything in your life more important, important than doing what God wants you to do? Is there anything he wants you to do more important than sharing Jesus? Is there anything you could do now to learn how to better do this? What is it to keep you from doing what you know you should be doing? Shouldn't you put out of your life anything that keeps you from doing that? As we sing in plain, wonderful words of life, let me assure you that there is a special sweetness that comes for doing the will of God. Glenn, would you play wonderful words of life for us on the clarinet? I'd love to.
It's been so nice visiting with you all here today on Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. Our program is part of the Glenn Dawson Evangelistic Association. That's a nonprofit, 501c3. And we're dedicated to sharing the gospel with the world. We're located in Lexington, Kentucky. As we look at the old-time hymns, the authors and events related to the writing of their songs, we hope you've been informed and enjoyed yourself. Friends, we always enjoy hearing from you. We'd love to hear you by writing to us on Facebook or whatever platform you hear from. If that doesn't work for you, you can write us on our web page. And it's located at www.glendawsonea.com. Our music has been distributed to the web, and you can hear it by searching the web for the music of Glenn Dawson. On some of the services, you can punch the like button, and we appreciate it when you do that. It helps our ministry and keeps us going. We look forward to seeing you again next week on Preparing Our Hearts for God be with you. Bye for now. Bye for now.